Um, here we are again, Alan, for the next in our series of Leadership Matters podcasts. That's Good to right. see you. Yeah, how are you? Yeah, very well, thank you very Excellent. much. Thanks. So today, um, the University of New England's 14th Vice-Chancellor, Professor Bridget Haywood, joins us in the pod. Bridget has held leadership positions in universities in the UK, New Zealand, and now Australia. She joined UNE just a few months ago from the University of Tasmania, where she was Deputy Vice-Chancellor for Research, and amongst other things, lifted research income above the 100 million mark for the first time. Before Tasmania, she was at New Zealand's Massey University, and before that, in her native UK, where she was part of the leadership teams at the Open University, and before that, at Keel University, where, at the start of her career, she was the first woman in the UK to hold an established chair as Professor of Inorganic Materials Chemistry, aged a mere 33. Given her proven commitment to education as an instrument for social and economic opportunity, plus her experience of regional and online education, Bridget is perfectly placed to lead UNE as the university adapts to a rapidly changing higher education environment. Welcome, Bridget. Thank you, gentlemen. <laughs> um, to kick us off then, Bridget, tell us about your current role. Uh, and I'm particularly interested in those uh, listeners who may be unfamiliar with the title of a Vice-Chancellor. Tell us what you do. Uh, so Vice-Chancellor is a, is a long, complex term for um, somebody who's a president. So at one level, you're the president of a multi-component business that operates both domestically and internationally. You're also the chief executive officer. So you, you are responsible um, to a board for the executive functions, the business functions of a multi-million dollar business. The business is um, education. It's education in the context of the sharing of knowledge through offerings to students, the conventional offering of degree programs, of diplomas, um, of, of doctorates, so PhD <coughs> qualifications. But it's also increasingly um, micro-credentials, CPD, Continual Professional Development, um, it's also knowledge sharing as a result of the research that we do. Um, it's very important that universities are scholarly and that they're involved in the process of knowledge creation, knowledge genesis, but also in its sharing, its translation. Um, and so as the vice-chancellor, this prin president, principal, chief executive role, you're providing academic leadership, you're providing stimulation for the academic purpose of the institution, um, as the CEO, your daily worries are probably the budget, um, not necessarily the budget of the day, but the future planning of budgets. Um, we're responsible for large amounts of capital infrastructure. The University of New England, uh, like many others, has a backlog of infrastructure maintenance that sums up to over a billion, and we have plans for uh, nearly a billion dollars worth of new facilities to meet our growing, mm -hmm. growing and new demands for the university. And so to work with people, one of the real challenges for me of leadership in the early days was how did I, who was on a learning curve myself, work fairly with people who had endorsed but needed to be developed? And that we had to work out ourselves a little bit of braille reading, um, a little bit of being prepared to go out and steal, plagiarise, 
um, collaborate with others and bring that knowledge into our system and and the generosity of the university to allow us to do that was quite significant mm. you, you wouldn't see many universities doing it at quite the level that we were given freedom in this day and age uh, but it was a phenomenal proving ground for me and I discovered I really liked developing people that you know in in addition to the passion I had for my research and for my research group I really enjoyed being part of a collaborative professional team where I had a signature role in, in designing how that team was going to operate and bringing people along. And I'm very proud of that work because it set for me the foundation of, of the kind of leader I've been going forward from that point. Um, and I value the fact that many of the people that I worked with then have stayed in close contact as good colleagues as well as good friends and that we can still share both the thoughts of them, but reflect back onto the insights that we gained and how we have individually put them to good use in the other career paths that we've pursued. And, and for me, that's a great testament to the fact that I was a good leader. I, I moved the chemistry department and then chemistry and physics and then the faculty into a sustainable economic footing. We redeveloped a whole collection of new curriculum. We increased our research performance um, considerably. Um, and we engaged to create a whole new teaching construct for the university, and and we did that, and you know we did that in about five years. That's quite remarkable. And and I look back on that now, and we thought that was hard yards, and we weren't going fast enough. I do now know that that was pretty stellar progress in a very short period of time. But it was because we had this joint collaborative endeavour. We were working together to that objective. Um, and those people who felt they couldn't participate were put comfortably to one side. They weren't ignored, um, they weren't denied opportunity, but they weren't given, if they didn't want to have a voice, they weren't required to have one. We didn't expend energy worrying about it. Hmm. Yeah. That's good. Richard, changing tack a little bit, your career's, um, career appears to have its roots in regional communities. Any, was that deliberate, by accident? How is... How has that all happened? Uh, probably a little bit of both. So um, <coughs> I, both the work I did in the United States when I went out there to be a research fellow, but I also did my PhD in Liverpool at a time when uh, the Liverpool riots were on. So unemployment in Liverpool at that point in time would probably have been at the, the 40-50% mark. Um, you had people who had lost their jobs because of the failure of the fishing fleets and, and the failure of the port and because of poor labour relations between the government and the city. Um, so I'm, I'm working away in the medical school, happily doing my, my well-funded PhD, thanks to the Medical Research Council. But around me were, were young people who had very few expectations. Mm -hmm. And in fact, you'd have families where there'd have been you know, father, mother and children all of them facing years of unemployment and living on benefits. And, and I was involved in what became the Heseltine um, Labour Renewal Workforce um, as part of a team from the university being involved in that conversation. And I was just a doctoral student. I didn't really know much about the world. I could tell you a lot about microscopes and materials science. I couldn't tell you much else about the world. But I got caught up in that at the edges of it. Um, that played out again a little bit being in the United States. Um, I was based in Washington, D.C., um, which everybody knows is this big romantic capital of U.S. government. But D.C., the city, is, is, a, is a city with really challenging cultural and racial issues, really challenging education issues. 
And part of our role as Fogarty Fellows at the National Institutes of Health was to have a community outreach function. Mm-hmm. And so I did outreach through education into some of the quite challenged areas of Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. and the surrounding states. So that gave me a feel for the power of education. Again, not sure I could articulate then what yeah. that was, but, but I, I registered into that very quickly. I registered that there were things that I could contribute. And, and also you get to see immediately that if you invest in people and you do so through education, it is transformative. Mm-hmm. And, and when I returned to the UK, um, the opportunity to pursue that through Keel. Um, Keel is based in the Staffordshire Potteries. More people lost their jobs in the Staffordshire Potteries than did in the UK car industry at the time of the last sort of economic failure 30 odd years ago. Not the most recent one, but the one before. Um, They come in cycles. um, And all the people that had worked for the Wedgwoods and the Daltons and the rest of it and had always had jobs in the potteries industry suddenly finds 4.2 million people found themselves without jobs. That's the population of New Zealand, by the way, uh, where I went to work. Um, and so I became part of the role of the university in regenerating the both the, the social, <coughs> economic and cultural fabric of a really damaged region. Mm. Uh, and the eight years I spent there, um, it, it gave me a whole new license on, again, this vision of a university as an agent for change in, in, a, in a community and the role in which education in its many different facets can be a real driver of that. So it's an institutional role as well as the power of education. Mm. And, and then I had the good fortune to be employed at the Open University. Um, and for those who are not familiar, the, the Open University in the UK is, is the largest tertiary education institution in the United Kingdom supports over 200,000 students. Um, Many of those will have left school before they got a full suite of appropriate qualifications. Um, Many of them are people coming to get, uh, Lord Crowther called it, as much or as little education as they could take benefit from. Um, And we provided that support through education across the whole of the globe. So I got to see it both in the UK, but then the Open University Um, tasked me with going to Africa and working on educational development projects for teachers and medics in Africa and then Southeast Asia, Cambodia, Laos, Vietnam, Thailand. I saw education through many different lenses, refugee camps, um, medical research facilities working with local communities, the setting up of new universities, midwifing new universities into being with the support of the local, with us supporting a local community. So for me, the Open University was this global agenda about how do you how do you wire the power of universities into the fabric of communities who need employment, education, um, knowledge sharing, and knowledge creation to create new jobs to be the driver of innovation. Mm. It's it's an incredibly powerful thing to be invited to participate in, mm. and and I've actually then tracked jobs that offer that opportunity. Right. They've tracked me, yes. but I've tracked them tracked as well. Them. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Thank you. Um, again, this in a slightly different direction. What do you see as the biggest challenge for Australian universities in today's world? Oh, modern Australia. So Australia is all grown up. Um, it's a country with its very clear uh, sense of self and a very clear journey um, about being uh, successful as a nation but also being successful as part of the international community. And so 
the transition for universities is supporting the, the agenda of modern Australia. So Australia has been uh, has viewed university education as being a slightly elitist offering for a few, not the many. So it's shifting into being something that we would like the majority of citizens to have opportunity of rather than only a few. So universities are managing um, that, that access, that widening participation agenda um, and finding that quite challenging as others have done before them. Um, universities are seen as the pivot points of economic uh, revitalization and regeneration in cities and regions that have relied very heavily on heritage primary industries, so resource recovery mining, farming, uh, agriculture. Whilst those are still really important to the fabric of Australia, there has to be an added value equation, and universities are seen to be very much part of that. So the challenge for us as universities is to make sure, it goes back to the thing I commented on about the very early stages of my professional career, we have to have an academic workforce that recognises that role of universities. Um, so the academic role is changing. We have to be guardians of, of a different kind of workforce development within the institutions. We're going to have different kind of partnerships with our communities, with state and federal government, and each one of those requires a di slightly different bending of your university identity. We also stand up my current university, the University of New England, um, I, we're the largest single employer across the whole region. So we are we are the largest economic entity. We we affect quite phenomenal influence in a, in a passive as well as an active way, mm. just because of our scale as an economic unit. Um, so that places challenges around us um, in terms of the intellectual and thought leadership that we provide. We're not just doing it now through the narrow lens of disciplines and subjects. We're doing it into community conversations around foreign interference, um, uh, marriage equality, um, pro or anti-abortion. You know, each day brings a new conversation. Mm -hmm. The diversity of Australia and are we comfortable with that or not? How is Australia managing both immigration but also refugee dynamics? Um, can Australia generate the workforce it needs to attract new businesses into the country? Or is it still going to use the lever of immigration to control that? Mm -hmm. And what's the role of universities, given that we play a very big part in the export of education internationally, as well as the import, import. of the future yeah. talent pipeline? Yeah. So universities are no longer these ivory-towered thought chambers um, cloistered, insular, focused only on, on offering education to those who want to walk through our doors. Um, we play all these other roles uh, as institutions. And that means we've got to be really careful how we support our academics. Um, it means we bring into the community a quite different range of professional and technical experts. You know, I've got a cyber security specialist. I have to have, to have different kind of financial experts to manage procurement both domestically and internationally. I have a team of people who manage international student entry, so that's visas, student care, student well-being, mental health. Um, we run big learning platforms, so cyber security both of our data but also privacy management but also generating an educational platform that people are going to interact with. We're running at about half a million interactions a day on our mm. learning platform. Mm. Um, and, and that's small relative to some yeah, of our yeah, other yeah. institutional partners. Yeah, yeah. Um, we have different kinds of partnerships. On my campus, I have um, uh, departments of uh, six different government departments physically located on the campus in partnership with us. 
Um, we've just signed uh, a collaboration agreement to develop a new educational discovery centre for early childhood learning that will service the whole of the region. That means I've got to make sure that all of my staff have been through all the required checks that they can interact and work with young people as opposed to just young adults. Mm. So very, we're, we're much more complex. Yeah, yeah. And, and yeah. what I have to do is understand how all of that knits together. So on the one hand, I still have to be a subject matter expert, but I have to be the subject matter expert in what a university is. Yes, yes. It's something yes. I did not take a degree in. Yeah. Um, and, and I have to be responsible for making sure that I um, am aware of the needs of my executive design, um, that I bring on people who fit the team, but also fit the institution. The institution. Institutional yeah. fit is, yeah. is desperately important to yes. us if we're going to be successful. Yes. Yeah. And then I have to interact with the council. So our yeah. council are drawn from you know, leaders within the immediate community as well as leaders within the state. And, and some of them are drawn and represent the interests of Australia. So yes. again, your governing body, your council, yes. is an entity that you, you have to interact with yes. purposefully. Yes. They need to be informed. Uh, they are responsible for the strategic oversight of the institution, but that doesn't work unless they have a close and intimate relationship with, with the chief executive, the vice chancellor. Thank you, Alan. Um, I just follow up something very quickly. Um, you've mentioned internationalisation a few times in mm. the last couple of sentences there, Bridget. And uh, uh, how important is internationalisation to to you and your university? Um, moving forward, um, so so it's important. It's important to our university in much the same way it's become important to practically every university that um, in an environment where the normal federal funding for student places is restricted. Uh, you know, we we might argue bitterly against it, but it's it's part of of you know the economic culture of the nation. Then international students at one level are a key economic influencer. They help you diversify your income. UNE, because we're a university that's in a, a small regional town in, in a large agricultural region in the north of New South Wales as a state, um, internationalisation, so to go back to your first part of your question, is really important because it goes back to that responsibility we have to community. The community could be regarded as being very insular, like many areas of Australia. So our role to diversify the community by bringing in both international staff, so 30-something percent of my staff are, are, were born outside of Australia and have, uh, have chosen to come and work with us. Um, and they're drawn from uh, China, Southeast Asia, Europe, North and South America. They're very diverse as a staffing group. Um, we've played a particular role in supporting refugees coming into Australia and they're resident within our community. So we've played a very big role in helping the community adapt to new mm. refugee communities coming in. Our curriculum, we, we offer and an aim to offer the richest curriculum possible. The internationalisation of that curriculum is really important. So having the connections about how we tell the stories of the planet through the way in which we deliver case studies in our curriculum is really important so that, that Australian graduates are ready for their place on the international stage, that they, they're prepared and aware of, of how to have those important dialogues beyond what they may or may not glean from 
you know, part, you know, social media, yeah. the movies, newspapers, etc., yeah. etc. Et so there's layered responsibilities. N nothing is one element. There are layered responsibilities in there. We'd like to grow our international student numbers, but we've taken a particular decision to do that by drawing opportunity from our, our long-standing pedigree and distance education. So we're taking a very targeted approach about <clears throat> particular countries and offering particular programs into particular countries. And we do so by encouraging our potential students to study with us online first and to achieve particular academic markers. And when they achieve those, we then support them in getting their visas and seeking entry to come and study in Australia. So we've taken a, a, a slightly different route and, and that hybrid model is working yeah. very well for us. And we also work extensively with um, ACR, the Australian um, uh, regional, uh, international regional development fund. Um, we have a number of programs that are born out of our expertise in, in agriculture and agribusiness. And we're providing workforce development now internationally into five different countries um, for Australia and on behalf of Australian um, funding. Great. Thank you. Well, I think that's a great point to it draw is, this it? podcast yeah. to a close. Yeah. Um, we've got loads of other questions we could have asked you, Bridget, but kind of um, time is running away from us again. Yeah. So thank you, Bridget, for making the time. Yeah, to thanks join for us. coming in. It's been really great to see you again. Congratulations on, the, on your new appointment. You're doing great stuff, and we will continue to look out for UNE. And you're the first um, visitor to the pod who's also from Hull. So there you go. Another yes, first. well, <laughs> there are trade offs all the time. <laughs> it's my great pleasure and a really interesting conversation. So thank well, you. Thank you very much. Thanks very much. Bye. Bye. Bye.